Welcome to the podcast Heroes of Futurism with me, Jonathan Cherry. This podcast is about the future and how to create it, what opportunities exist, what ideas are worth thinking about, and how you can begin to design the future that you want. Let's start right now. Okay, so this is the second episode of our new podcast, Heroes of Futurism. Um, I'm Jonathan Cherry. I'm Susan Searle, for now. (laughs) And on our second episode, we're going to talk about... um, That last time you were talking about research, so I thought it would be a good idea for us to talk about sources of inspiration when it comes to innovation. So what, what do you read? What do you look out for? What are those outliers that potentially no one else reads, but you get a lot of inspiration from? So... Yeah, I thought it would be interesting just for us to chat about that. Um, so to start off with, Susan, as an innovator in, in a big organization, how important do you think it is to scan the horizon and find sources of information that inspire you? Yeah, so obviously, I mean, anyone's going to answer that question as saying it's hugely important. Um, I think... You know, when you were, when you asked the question, immediately the thought that popped into my mind was when I was at um, Tech, and we would look at um, they would give us each quarter, or we would get a new project, and then that project would be the first month would be creative design, which would be researching the trend and drawing it up, presenting you know in terms of a free fashion illustration as well as technical drawings, what we how we interpreted the brief. Then the following week was making the patterns, and then the following week was serving it and putting it together. And this was your kind of cycle. And then built into that was the technology side, the history of fashion side, the communication side, and then the entrepreneurial side. Um, so quite a well-rounded course. Um, so in a, w- in a way, I guess that's how I've been indoctrinated. So it, mm. I think I still follow that same pattern. So first go and look for the inspirations. And I remember as a student, <clears throat> they would give us these briefs you know so it would be you have to create an evening wear range you know based on a country for argument's sake so pretty wide open or you would have to create a corporate uniform you know for you're a fashion designer you've got your own business and you have to create a corporate uniform so and I remember the first thing I would do was I would rush down we I would drive down to the fabric shops and back then it was a part of Cape Town where there was a, a Yeah, quite a different layout, but the mall was called the Oriental Plaza, and it was where... It's a good story. No, they've knocked it down now. Um, It was part of the land that was given back um, to communities that were forced out of District 6, but at the time, it was uh, where a lot of uh, kind of Cape Malay um, entrepreneurs would have fabric shops and uh, trim and haberdashery stores and... It was just, it was one of my favorite places and I just used to love going there and finding trims. A lot of them had trims from archives. So you would find old braids from the 70s, you know, these kind of glitter tassel braids. And I would, yeah, I'd always kind of scratch in these bargain bins for Mm. hours and eventually find some trinket, you know, like a treasure that I'd brought back, you know, and I would base an entire range around some gold lurex tassel from some ex-spring queen 
like outfit that had never been created, you know. So and not exactly desk research. This is like yeah. And back then, <laughs> the, you the know, street. the internet had just launched in South Africa. I think it was 1997, 98, You know, it wasn't something that everyone had availability to. It was dial-up connections. You mm. had to be very quick online because it was so expensive. You could only really go online after midnight. You know, in well, in our home, you know, it was. It, Internet was expensive. It was a real privilege. You and know? in those days, there just wasn't the content that you have today. You know, no, I mean, it was often the, these like news groups. And yeah, exactly. Like it was yeah, it was, and it was these a kind of uh, nets that would be brought together that would take you through to these uh, scholarly articles that really, by the time you had followed this wormhole down mm. uh, and spent you know seventeen minutes trying for the page to load. The article will have no relevance. So, you know, I think that's the beauty of, you know, metadata and, and tag words and, and hashtags that have really helped us isolate and, and streamline those processes. But somehow getting lost in the process was something that I still use today. So giving my time, myself time and space to get mm. a little bit lost and go totally right. off course. Um, Which is where you find really interesting stuff. Totally. Because I guess the... the challenge nowadays is that people have their favorites and then that it's like a well-worn path and everyone read is reading the same stuff this is it exactly you know i mean i'm in the in the clothing industry as you know and and everyone uses wgsn everyone uses wwd everyone uses www everyone uses business of fashion and whilst they are amazingly strong resources and well-researched non uh syndicate you know not really syndicated vogue.com amazing harper's amazing you know these these um these resources are unbelievable and from a plagiarism point of view you can be pretty guaranteed that the information is authentic and and not plagiarized Mm. but um everyone uses the same resources and i think that what happens then is are trends really researched properly or because we all follow the same resources do we end up making the trends happen Mm. because oh, the, the, you know, this site has said that this is happening, so now we all need to buy into this. So then are they making, are they constructing the trends, you know? Yeah. Um, which is something that I do, you know, you also can't be too vague because then anything can be um, trending. Yeah, which is the danger of trends, is that a trend is already happening. It's already mm. on a curve. And I guess if you're wanting to innovate, what you really want to find is a little, you know, what futurists call a dot on the horizon. So a really weak signal of change. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that not everybody is necessarily seeing, but potentially could develop into a a larger trend, which by the time it hits WGSN or any of those other big um, other news sites, um, you've already seen it and already done something about it. And I guess that's what innovation is. It's about almost developing that foresight as to what trends are worth keeping an eye on or or what signals are worth keeping an eye on and what is just noise, you know, just ignore that. It's not going to develop into anything. Totally. I mean, a while back you and I created a framework in terms of trends. Trend is history, actually. And I think the word trend usually is understood as being this is in fashion, this is what's happening now. But if you know about it, it's history. Um, so it's about how do you take the history and how do you operate in quadrants, you know, on a framework that are balanced, especially for me coming from a, uh, retail fashion clothing environment. Obviously, if you're in tech, you don't want to operate in all four quadrants. You probably want to operate mainly in the kind of, you know, um, 
newer spaces that that are kind of not uh, understood yet, and you want to probably be, mm. bra- you know, brainstorming and and creating more. Uh, whereas in the clothing industry, there's a lot of uh, criticism for following and. Uh, you know, whatever we can guarantee that whatever Isabel Morant puts on the catwalk, it will be in Zara. You know, within three to six months. Yeah, but I guess the reason that big clothing retailers just follow trend is because it's safe. Um, sure. So you know that if that trend is uh, happening in North America in summer, mm-hmm. you're pretty guaranteed that it's going to wind out into sub-Saharan Africa. In you know, the demand from your target market is going to happen pretty. Uh, predictably at a certain time of the year. So you're going to make money from that trend. Um, I guess the thing as an innovator is how far do you just follow the predicted route or how much do you take a gamble on something which is real innovation, which is doing something that no one else is doing. It's pushing the boundaries and creating a trend of your own, not just following them, but creating something new. Completely. And while you were talking at uh, the two brands, like sprung into my mind so the one would be often I'll see someone they look good and I'll say geez you look amazing you know where's your skirt from and they'll say Zara and often we all seem surprised like oh Zara wow that's amazing it really looks good it looks just like the catwalk you know but there's this space where yes we want to be have beautiful clothes we want to have beautiful things I get it but then there's also an amazing space for a company and the one that springs to mind would be a Trueworths so if someone is wearing something from Truett's, they've managed to find these gaps in the market where, yes, some of their brands operate solely within a fashion space, you know, and, and they gear their business according to this. But then they create these brands that take influence from, and I'm talking within a South African context, obviously these brands exist all over the world, brands are doing this, but in South Africa, you don't find it as often. People haven't managed to do this, where they will have sub-brands like an LTD or a uh, uh, Ginger Mary or a, um, you know, they, they've got these brands that are quite specifically listening to their customer. What the customer wants is what they give them. They nudge the, the trends on and sometimes they get into a little bit of trouble when they haven't nudged it on enough or they proliferate in the business. But but they, they have this way of nodding to fashion and nodding to what the brand exists for. And I think it's probably Truist's biggest success is they have very strong brand parameters and brand identities and I think it's something that a lot of the other retailers could learn from because they don't just throw the baby out of the bathwater and only do trend but it's about finding that magic between this is the opportunity that exists on the horizon the opportunity is that people want a brand that looks like this how do we nudge that brand on with fashionable insights or insights that are taken from trends that are happening and still give the customer what she wants but to constantly each year make only black pants or only make the fashionable sweat that she's only going to wear for six months and you want to get her in that next season. The problem with that is, is everyone's fighting to get her in the next season. But if she knows she wants to come to you because either your fit is brilliant or because she can find that brown pant that fits well, but has always got that little extra element that she enjoys, whether it's external branding or a specific architected design i think that's a real magic to to be in and that's where the money is Mm. but what you're talking about now is that brands need to be bold enough to set boundaries absolutely and often what i find is that when people think about innovation and they think of creativity they feel that it is supposed to be a space that is 
open. It should just be boundaryless. Mm. But what happens then is that you get chaos. You and just, you don't stand for anything. So if uh, you don't stand for anything, right, you'll be knocked by everything. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't know the clothing industry well at all. I know it from what you say, and I, I had my first job was actually in the clothing industry. But you know that idea of a brand being bold enough to say these are our boundaries, and we will create within these mm. boundaries. I think mm. is, um, I think that's real confidence. Mm. That's real confidence in creativity and innovation, and that's mm. exactly what you say. And I think from a designer, so now if I have to put myself in another, like with another hat almost, um, as a designer, everyone wants to create beautiful things, sit in a white studio with like a live uh, computer, um, you know, drawing board and you want to create these beautiful things that you can relate to. Also, I'll speak for myself. I would love to sit and create beautiful items that I can relate to, that I would want to wear. I want, but that's not where the money is. And in fact, almost nowhere in the world is the money that, you know, if you are a, I find my strength as a designer has been when I can put myself and understand what the market wants and create stuff for that in order to make my, I mean, ultimately the clothing industry is there to make money and return to shareholders, right? That is why it exists. It's not existing as an art form. Otherwise I would be an artist that used fashion as a medium and I'm not I'm a, de- a fashion designer that innovates but the innovation is that magic and it's that thread that winds one season to the next and how can I give her another pair of pants she's already bought for the last three seasons what can I do with the fabric that will make it so exciting that she doesn't care that she's got four pairs of pants black pants she wants another black pant because this pant is unbelievable it feels amazing it fits amazingly it looks makes her feel unbelievable so how can we marry an in purpose with innovation in order to allow someone to feel a certain way when they wear something or feel like they are someone else when they're wearing something that's the magic that Mm. i as a designer need to um need to find that space Mm. or how to create that which i guess as you say it's about knowing what's the demand is understanding what the recipe is and then tweaking that recipe as you go, which is innovative in itself. Mm. Um, again, I think a lot of people perceive innovation as this radical innovation. Innovation is like the inventing of the iPhone or, yeah. you know, digital cameras, but it's not. Self-driving cars. <laughs> exactly. Those are inventions. So, yeah. And it's an important part of this, this category, but it's uh, a lot of innovation is just tweaking and knowing how to tweak, when to tweak, um, how far you can push a customer, how far you, you know, knowing that you've gone too far and things like that. And how can we give her the best experience? How can we allow her a way to transform? How can we transform through the knowledge that she's giving us? Mm. Or he, I always just use she, sorry. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is all innovation. Yeah. You know, walking around the car a different way is an innovation if it's a change that is meaningful. So yeah. any change that is meaningful is innovative. Mm. Okay, so talking about boundaries, let's boundary our own podcast yes. and come back <laughs> to <laughs> let's come back to some of the sources that okay, so you've mentioned WGSN, obviously you work in clothing retail, so the sources that you're looking at are very um, fashion focused. Outside of that, do you have any wild cards that you look at and draw inspiration from that maybe no one else knows about? Yeah, so for me, travel is a huge part of of inspiration, not just travel to go and look at other stores and the way people do things. But I was saying, you know, and you and I have traveled together. um, I absolutely love going into grocery stores. And there's just Mm. something about the packaging. I will spend 
an hour looking at every single olive oil or truffle oil or two-minute noodle or I love buying ingredients from other countries and bringing them back here and trying to make stuff with them or, you know, using it in a nice salad dressing or something. So I love packaging and I often find color combinations in packaging, especially recently I was in Japan and in Hong Kong and the, the color combinations that they use, I always learn so much from. So that's one thing. I learn, I know it sounds very, I actually hate saying it, but I'm going to say it. You know, people always say, people watch, it's my worst. But observing. So observing interactions, I always find very interesting. And I remember my first trip I ever did to America, to Minneapolis, the Mall of America. And I remember having terrible jet lag and waking up and went to Starbucks for the first time. And it was a hell of a sex in the city moment for me, although in Minneapolis. And um, I, I was watching the way people walked to work. And it's just amazing to see how... People in South Africa go to work versus people in Minneapolis, versus people in London, people in Barcelona. I love watching the shoes they wear for their commute. I love watching the commute. Um, and, and that often, it's about, from that, I can identify an opportunity or it makes me think of back home and then I'm like, geez, but people take taxis to work or the train. And is there a way that I could create something that could make that journey more pleasurable? So it's about being able to observe and then look for opportunities. I wouldn't say I'm the best at just spotting trends, you know. I I'm, I I don't think that's one of my strengths, but I'm one of my strengths is being able to find an opportunity. Mm. And then the opportunity is the trend, not necessarily the fact that it's a dirty drop crotch pant or you know bringing that back is not difficult. You don't need to travel for that. But it's about so that's the one thing. So work commute the other thing is the way people treat their children and the way people treat animals. And it's always so interesting to me. So one of the two con uh, countries that I find very inspirational on, on the way that they treat their children is China and India. Um, and children are like gods, you know. And, and through seeing the effort they give to their children and through seeing how they prepare their children for the day, I think there's something in that that often interests me and, and somehow it sends me on a tangent and I can't always explain where the mind goes, but I land up at a place where I, I think of solutions, design solutions. So having been lucky enough to travel with you recently to Japan, I have to attest that when you are in that mode <laughs> where you are scanning, when you're in a grocery store, when you're looking at people, you go into a space where I can see your mind is just working. So you're working, you know, knowing you well because we're engaged. I think, you know, I know when you're not working and I can sense when you click into that mode and you become a different person. And I can see that it's the same, I guess, as for me. I, I guess with my job, I do a lot of desk research. So I'm doing the same thing, but with sure. content which has been written or video or that kind of thing. So you're doing that from a, um, a hands-on perspective. And I think exactly as you say, you're drawing inspiration from completely different sources. You Because also I've seen you walk into a clothing store or a second-hand store where literally you'll scan a rail and I'll just see, okay, well, there's a red shirt and a blue shirt you're scanning the rail, you're identifying what fabric is being used, like what different um, uh, embellishing of whatever the thing is. I don't know what's the term. <laughs> like, you know, people do things to make garments uh, yeah, marketable. Yeah. 
Um, and I think you are able to do that super quick because obviously you've been doing it for long. Sure. So as a, as a trained, you know, you have a trained eye. And I guess that's what it is. It's because, as you say, everyone is reading the same stuff. But the real juice is actually getting out there, getting onto the streets and going to observe people. Mm. And that is a skill which you've got to develop over time. It's mm. not something which just comes naturally. And I, I almost agree with you. I mean, what, when I started the topic of this podcast, I thought, well, let's talk about sources. You know, we can talk about, you know, Google keyword alerts and all that kind of stuff. But everybody does that. Mm. I think exactly as you say, if you are an innovator, it's about getting into the street and understanding people, um, looking at how people use their environments, how do they shop, how do they use products, how is that changing, um, and being able to develop the confidence to identify what that change is mm. and how to respond to it. Mm. Um, that's, that's a skill. So something in my little toolkit of, um, of yeah, skills and tools that I require. I recently had to put together a marketing trend presentation. Um, and in that, um, I used uh, the Institute for Futures Research uh, through Stellenbosch because I'm studying futures. And we have um, access to all of their reports. And the information that they put together is unbelievable. It's very detailed in their annual reports. And, and through reading their recent report, their 2018 report, I was able to look at statistics, and for the first time as a researcher, as a trend forecaster, as a designer, as an innovator, I mean, I don't think I'm any one of those things, but a little bit of all of them and different percentages each day. Um, but, but through looking through that, through that information, it, it just made me see trends in a totally different way. So yes, I can quote you what's on the Paris catwalks, the Milan catwalks, you know, pre-fall or the resort collections. It's all very interesting, but also I only have capacity to take in so much. So trying to memorize which designer did what, it doesn't come naturally to me. I can't tell you three years ago what Fendi's collection was. And there are a lot of very talented people that have that ability to do that. But through looking at the urbanization rates that South Africa is experiencing and uh, how climate change is, um, is being experienced in South Africa, what is our unemployment rate, what is our aging population by what demographic and what is our, you know, what diseases, what is the top disease um, that South Africa fights, what is the top cause of death, what is where... 80% of the government's funding in, in, in medical research, where is that going to? That helped me also look at things very differently because you know what? In the context of South Africa right now, where our globalization rates or our urbanization rates are off the charts urbanization rates at the moment, and in fact for the whole of Africa, I think it's something like 70% of Africa's population lives in the coastal towns and in the port towns. Um, you know, where... Actually, I'm not sure if that statistic is accurate. You, you're better at telling it. It sounds right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think it's... I was reading statistics on the top 20 cities in Africa and where that's where the, the predominant uh, uh, populations exist and where people are going to find work. How does that influence the trends and what is important? And does that mean, then, that the Saturn bias cut midi, does that mean that that's really going to become hugely successful? Or is the... 
you know, the trailbuster-influenced shoe that's highly fashionable, but actually super functional for a South African customer and an African customer, maybe that's actually the, the trend that's, that needs to be punted a little bit more because it's super functional, you know? Mm. So I think that for the first time, I've really looked at things from a mature point of view of end purpose. Mm. I can see that uh, very expensive academic <laughs> rigor that you're paying for is really coming into your work. And, and I absolutely agree with you. And it's kind of one of the frustrations I have with um, people that call themselves trend forecasters uh-huh. is that they, they're very narrow in what trends they specifically look at. And I think the danger of that is that you can easily then get surprised by things that happen in completely different dimensions. Sure. So there could be something that happens in politics, which... Uh, affects fashion Mm. and I think that's the thing is that if you really are going to be a great innovator if you're going to be a a fantastic creative business person you have to have a very broad perspective of Mm. what's going on in the world and understand how those things might connect to what it is that you're focusing on Mm. Uh, because the the consequences of a change somewhere else uh, could have really interesting effects in, in your area and you've got to understand what that might be. And I think that's the value, as you say, of understanding things like urbanization rates and demographics and population trends in Africa and how they might affect your business. And does apathy lead to evolution or revolution of a trend? You right, know? exactly. Okay, so I think we've run out of time. <laughs> we didn't get to any sources. <laughs> we didn't get to any sources, but maybe we need to, we need to do another episode because I found it really interesting. Uh, but yeah, so I think we're going to try and cap it at 25 minutes. Thank you very much for listening and we hope to catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Heroes of Futurism. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing and we'll see you next time. Cheers.